father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? And welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious, the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopedia podcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan, and I'm Joanna. We're not going to bother with news this time, except for this very important piece of news: Jeffrey Epstein was definitely okay. murdered by we're the not, CIA. We're not going to talk about. This. He was definitely murdered by the CIA, Ryan. What's that to do with Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? Well, I'm just saying. Nope. Here's some news. You know what episode number this is? <laughs> I can guess. It's. 420? 69! Oh, nice! Nice! It's kind of like that part in Star Wars where Emperor Palpatine says, execute order 69, and then Commander Cody goes, nice! 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 Welcome to our 69th big episode, and what are we doing for our nicest wait, episode wait, wait. today? Why are we saying nice? Is that like a sex thing, or like... Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I I think it's just because, like, 69 is a lot of episodes. Is it because it's like... No, the- it's almost 70, so we're, we're celebrating preemptively. Like, 70 episodes is a very nice number of episodes to have. Is so 69 is almost as nice. Is it like the, the summer of 69, where, like, in Hate Ashbury, we're like, blah, 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 da, da, blah, da, 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 and we're all like... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then they had... Um, Woodstock, and then, um, what else happened? Um, the moon landing. Bri- 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 uh, what is it? Brian Adams got his first real s- six string at the five and dime. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a historical record. Oh, that happened. That's why it was nice. Nice. Okay. It was very nice. Cool. All right. I'm glad we cleared that up. So, besides the news that Jeffrey Epstein was killed by the CIA in the 69th episode, we have something planned for you today. Yeah. Yeah. Something very exciting. Something I've been thinking about doing for a while. Um, since we started the show, I knew eventually we were going to have an episode on Ralph Bakshi's 1978 version of Lord of the Rings. Wait, who's Ralph Bakshi? Who's what are you telling Ralph me? Bakshi? Why are you telling me this? So Ralph Bakshi is, I don't want to say underground, but he was a little bit countercultural animator Mostly active in the 1970s and early 1980s, although he did do stuff up through the 90s with Mm -hmm. a movie called Cool World that some of our, well, comparatively older, I guess people who are our age might remember being a thing when they were kids. It was like the dirty version of Roger Rabbit. Yeah, he did a bunch of, they were underground cartoons, but like, they weren't, they weren't studio productions. He kind of... Uh, did his own thing. Right. He didn't work for Disney. He didn't work for Hanna-Barbera. He was he was blazing his own freaking trail. Yeah, so to give a little bit of background on Ralph Bakshi, and I don't want to make this too long, but basically he was born in Israel in 1938, what is now Israel. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I don't know exactly when, but when he was youngish, he moved to the United States. And the way he got into animation was that a friend of his started working for a now defunct animation studio called Terry Tunes. Terry Tunes, sure. Mm-hmm. At the time, Terry Tunes was providing a lot of cartoons to CBS. Now, these are cartoons. If you've ever watched Pee Wee's Playhouse, these, whenever he watches a cartoon, they're usually Terry Tunes because they- You probably get them for free. They fell into the public domain very quickly. Yes, very quickly. Being, Nobody cared that much about them. Yeah. His friend got a job at Terry Tunes, and his friend convinced the boss to give Ralph Bakshi a job as well. The job that the boss gave him, which, by the way, Ralph Bakshi had to commute four hours every day to do, was to pick all the dust and lint and hair off of the painted animation cells. He had to go through them one by one. Gotta start somewhere, right? 
Yeah, it was literally such a crap job that after a few months when the boss noticed that Ralph Bakshi was still there, he was so surprised and impressed that he gave him a promotion. See, I feel like this maybe feeds into him later being like, screw the studio system. I mean, yeah, you right? You kind of see where his, where his origin story is starting now. Yeah, here. the boss was literally like, why are you still in this job? This job sucks. I'll promote you, I guess. I'm still paying you to do that? I really literally gave you this job because I thought you would go away after like a few weeks. But no, he stuck with it, picking all the lint and hair off. He got promoted to Sal Painter. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of worked his way up. Eventually, he became the director at Terry Toons, but he realized pretty quickly that that was a meaningless job because he he wasn't actually directing anything like he had no creative control yeah this is another sort of theme that comes up in his his later career sure also terry tunes was kind of going down the drain due to competition from Hanna barbera etc uh-huh. and so ralph actually kind of jumped jumped ship and he managed to land a job as the head guy at paramount's animation division okay unfortunately like Six or eight months after he got that job, Paramount shut down its animation division, and it turns out that when he was hired, the people who hired him knew that this would happen. Oh, that sucks. So again, he kind of got screwed over by the studios. Or Ralph. Yeah, so from this point on, he kind of blazes his own trail. He's kind of done with studio life. And so he makes a a series of feature-length animated films. These animated films are very different. They're not Disney, Mm -hmm. so they're, they're... Fairly dirty. They have a lot of swearing, drug use, sex. Always big on the sex. This ain't your mama's cartoons. These are cartoons for adults. Right. So he founded his own studio called Bakshi Productions. Originally, they were doing commercials for like Coca-Cola and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But then he decides he wants to make a film version of Fritz the Cat. Now, Ryan, you probably can explain Fritz the Cat better than I can. Yeah, Fritz, Fritz the Cat was like an underground comic about the cartoon character cat, but it was naughty. It was very naughty. So Fritz the Cat, he looks like a cartoon character. Get this. He looks like a cartoon character, but he like does it. He looks innocent, but he like... He like does sex it's, sometimes. If you've ever if you know who Robert Crumb is, he's the guy who came up with Fritz the Cat. And you know he gets pretty saucy in his What would work. people know him from? Didn't he design the Keep on Truckin'? Keep on Truckin'. There's a movie called Crumb. Mm-hmm. That's really good. It's like a documentary. Yeah, and here's what's interesting. So the documentary Crumb is the first time I heard about Fritz the Cat. And Robert Crumb was just talking about how much he hated it. But initially, when Bakshi uh, pitched this idea to him, he was all on board. And so Bakshi made Fritz the Cat, and it was actually really successful. Well, it was, under, it was like the first full-length adult cartoon. It was rated X. Yeah. At the time, it was the first X-rated cartoon to be released in theaters. Mm-hmm. And both uh, financially as well as critically, it did pretty well, despite the fact that Robert Crumb hated it. So Ralph Bakshi followed that up with a movie called Heavy Traffic, which was about inner city life, inner city violence. It was mm-hmm. similarly mm-hmm. well received, did similarly well. So he was kind of on fire. Next, he did a movie called uh, Coonskin, which was about um, racism. Making fun of people who were racist. And actually, what's great about this is that he hired a bunch of African-American voice actors and African-American animators. All right. This was similarly well-received. He did another movie called Hey, Good Lookin'. That was somewhat compromised okay. uh, because people were worried that it was not going to be accepted because of how uh, dirty it was 
and uh, how incoherent it kind of turned out. So he sort of shifted to fantasy film. Now, which one of these got hobbits in it? I don't hear anything. I'm about, about to tell you. I'm about to tell you. He did a little movie called Wizards, and this kind of marked his shift to fantasy movies. Really? And, hmm. Interesting. Yes. And right up on the heels of Wizards, he learned that John Borman was contracted to direct an adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Okay. Uh, so he arranged a meeting with United Artists' head of production, and in exchange for Bakshi paying back the $3 million that had been spent on Borman's screenplay, they let him be the director. Oh, all right. So I don't know if Borman wasn't interested or they just completely dicked Borman over. Make it. Yeah. They actually initially asked him if he was going to use that script. And he said, well, if it's jamming all three books into one movie, then no, I don't want to use that. I'm not interested in reading it. They're like, that's fine because we tried to read it and we don't know what the shit it's about. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So he got some other people together to, to redo the script entirely. And he can, initially he told them that he wanted to do three films. They talked him down to two. Okay. So originally it was supposed to be two films, this Lord of the Rings deal. So he decided this was, I guess, I think, I suspect it's like half a stylistic choice and half a budgetary choice because the budget was only $4 million. Mm -hmm. He decided to use a technique that he was pretty familiar with by this point called rotoscoping. Rotoscoping, yes. Rotoscoping is when you film uh, live action, you film the actors, and then you paint over them. To yes. animate it. There are various ways and levels of rotoscoping, various uh, levels of rotoscoping that are used in the final film. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was this was kind of like his signature thing. Critics were pretty divided on it. Some of them called the rotoscope animation beautiful. Some felt that it looked cheap and sloppy. I have mixed feelings about it myself. Well, he actually had his own opinion on it. Well, I know what his opinion was, but go ahead. So he was quoted as saying in this this Hollywood Reporter interview, Rotoscoping was a tremendous way to get realism in the picture. When it came to rings, I was really trapped on deadline. I I came up with the technique of instead of tracing the photograph, I would put the actual photograph in high contrast right on the animated cell. The short time allowed me to take a chance on some stuff that worked out unbelievably. If a director has no money, he's got to find a way to make a style or shooting technique to make the lack of money disappear and at least be emotionally right, which is everything. Without emotion, you don't have a scene. See, he is really into the scenes where he just put live action on the cell and dialed up the contrast he seems to prefer that technique i do not well he think it was he, he called it a collage he said it kind of had a he, it was an yeah. aesthetic choice he, he yeah it was partially for money purposes but also because he liked how it looked i do not i do not agree with that i do not agree with it but more about that later okay so the movie was actually a financial success it made 30 some million dollars uh, mm-hmm. with a budget of only four million however Because of mixed reviews, the studio did not allow him to do the second part. And also, uh, as the movie ended, the theatrical version, there was nothing that said, like, the end of part one or something like that. There was nothing to wrap it up or give any indication that this wasn't the full story. So it just ends abruptly midway through the two towers. So that's not great. That's not great. You talked about how he filmed the entire thing in live action first? Yeah, he did. Yeah, as I said. Okay. He, he did film the entire thing in live action first. One thing I in read. Spain. One thing I read too. He recorded the entire thing live action, but the actors on set were not the voice actors. Mm-hmm. He recorded the voice actors first, and then he had all of the actors like lip sync to lip-sync it, lip sync to the, the 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 recorded dialogue on stage. Lord. And so that's why the mouths don't always line up. He said 
you know, it, it didn't really matter. They could be like 12 or 16 frames off and I could still make it work. That's what he's quoted as saying. <laughs> he just has like a lot of confidence and bluster. His yeah. definition of I could make it work is not most people's definition of making it work. So essentially we have mimes on stage yeah. acting out the, 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 the dialogue, uh, including Billy Barty, a little person we've talked about before on this show. Right. He was uh, one of the Ewoks. He was in Time Bandits. Um, he is also the, one of the actors for The Hobbits uh, wow. that they painted over. Even though it got mixed reviews, there is a certain legacy to mm-hmm. this movie. For example, Return of the King. So Bank and Rass, the animation studio. Rankin Bass? You said Bank and Rass. <laughs> Bank and Rass, Rankin Bass. Rankin Bass was inspired to try to wrap up the film series by making Return of the King, mm-hmm. which they did. It was sort of a sequel to their earlier The Hobbit movie, but but sort of a sequel to Ralph Bakshi's movie. Although, like stylistically and character and crew wise, there's no continuity whatsoever. It looks like the Hobbit movie more than anything. Yes, yeah, uh, has the exact same singer. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, Frodo of the Nine Fingers, and then. It was a radio program for BBC in which some of the voice actors from Bakshi's movie reprised their roles. Okay. And then ultimately, some elements from Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings ended up in Peter Jackson's version. I'm surprised quite a bit, actually. Did. Yes, yes. And this is something that Peter Jackson apparently denied initially. Initially, mm-hmm. he said he had never seen Ralph Bakshi's oh, movie. Later, he said he had. And in fact, it was his first exposure to Lord of the Rings. Ralph Bakshi is quoted as saying, I thought that was pretty fucked up. It is pretty effed up. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Pete. Yeah. So with that in mind, I've seen this movie several times. Ryan's seen it maybe twice. This is my third time watching it, I think. So we decided to go through the movie, see what might have inspired Peter Jackson. Is the movie as bad as we remember? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's salvageable? What is just completely indefensible? Yeah, we're going to go through it. Talk about some observations. Uh, You know, not blow by blow. We have already know the story of the thing, but just some things that stood out to us. Right. Excellent. Okay. So the movie uh, opens up with one of many quote-unquote animation techniques that it uses, which is silhouettes of actors behind some red gauze. It's like, yeah, they're like silhouettes projected onto red potato sacks uh, at the beginning. But I was really interested because even though it's told in a kind of a goofy visual way, it's pretty much the same as, as PJ's. P.D. Jack's version. What they choose to keep in and what they choose to jettison is not substantially different from what Peter Jackson uses in his version. Yeah. I also wanted to point out that they have a lot of sword play in Mm -hmm. this. And I think Sauron going around stabbing people to death is supposed to be in slow motion, but it's not slow motion. It's just the actors moving very slowly. Oh, is it really? So it just looks like they're having the laziest sword fight on the planet Earth. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. What a many eccentricities of this movie. All right. So Red Gauze part is over. That's the prologue. We then move into the actual animation. So the actual animation, which makes up the bulk of the movie, is they, they completely drew over over and painted over the actors and they use this style most of the time for most of the main characters yeah i'm just want to say right off the bat we get our first shot of a uh, of hobbiton and i just reminded myself the background paintings of this movie are really good yeah like, they're watercolor a lot of the time sometimes they're on like later on they go to orthanc it looks really cool because i think they did they did the paintings on black paper you can tell yeah and it's like the old batman series and it's like this looks good like the backgrounds look good the characters <laughs> mixed bag mixed right now i divided on this i think it's a very eccentric animation it looks weird everybody is emoting way too much no. because they're not entirely sure if it's going to scan once they rotoscope but i don't think it's 
I mean, it's watchable. Like, I don't think it's bad. You have to get used to it. It's animation. Again, these are people miming out what other people are saying. So it's, like, very overacted. You have really good voice acting. And then you have basically, like, like community theater level physical acting. Yeah. That's being painted over. But what it, what the effect it has is because they're painting over it so perfectly. All the figures have a really good sense of, like, form. Like, they really feel like three-dimensional beings that are real. But they're, like, cartoon characters. And they- th- so it's kind of like you're watching real people act deranged. Yeah. Like, there are part- it opens up with Bilbo's speech at his birthday party, and there are a couple times where he, he just looks very, very deranged. His eyes yeah. get huge, his mouth opens way too wide, he's flailing his arms I mean, around. all those hobbits at the party, ugly as hell. I'm telling you what, the proud foot shaking his feet around, ugh. Ah, was- now speaking of that, that is a shot that Peter Jackson consciously borrowed from Ralph Bakshi's yeah, version. I- there, there's, there's the moment where Bilbo is thanking everybody from coming uh, for coming to his party mm-hmm. and he says proudfoots as one of the families and then you see an older hobbit with his feet up on the table and, and he, he yells proudfoots proud <laughs> and wiggles yeah. his toes that shot is basically identical in peter jackson's version yeah. and in ralph bakshi's version it's very charming but i still i still stand by like this animation is kind of a, an acquired taste let's say it's kind of falls into the uncanny valley for me where you have like these these uh characters who they look like cartoon characters they're moving like real people but they're moving like real people who are like exaggerating everything as if they're being seen crazy like stage acting but in front of a camera so like for example just a quick example of this in action you know uh gandalf is describing the ring to frodo he's talking he's the whole the whole poem like in the darkness bind them and with bind them he sticks his arms out wide and he gives himself a hug well he spins around and then he gives himself a hug he gives himself a hug and it's like you look like a crazy person your eye his eyes are all wild but he's moving fluidly like a real person if you haven't seen this animation this movie go on youtube look it up before you listen to us talk about it more because it's real weird if you saw a real person do that in real life have make make huge eyes spin around and then hug themselves you would be like the hell is wrong with this person even the walking like frodo's walking around swaggers he swaggers got a real strut yeah he's got swagger he also puts his hands on his head a lot. That's Frodo's actor's go-to way of emoting surprise or excitement. Yeah, yeah. It's the beginning of this movie. Like, every time I've watched it, I have to, like, remind myself how it looks. And then by, like, the hour mark, I'm like, okay, this is how this movie looks. But at the beginning, it's like, whoa, whoa. People, these, these are, like, I don't know. I think, and I agree with you. It is interesting. Just weird. Now, Bilbo leaves Hobbiton. Gandalf explains the ring situation to Frodo. It's all the same story. Yeah. They pick up They pick up Sam. This is, this is a little bit different. Um, so Sam is just randomly in a bush outside. He makes absolutely no noise. The bush doesn't shake. Gandalf just reaches into a bush and like produces Sam. Now, I'm not, I'm not being offensive here. I'm speaking medically here. I think Sam is impaired in many ways. He is acted like he is supposed to be impaired. This is something Sean Astin mentions mm-hmm. on the cast commentary to Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Yeah. Is that when he watched it, he was like, oh my god, Sam is so stupid. He's just this blustering idiot. He oh, 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 Mr. Frodo. Oh, Mr. Frodo, sir. Oh, don't let him hurt me, sir. Don't let him turn me into anything unnatural. No, 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 no. He's carrying, he always like swings his cape around like a doofus. He, he's constantly like falling over and stuff. He, he looks like a real dingus. But, I mean, they only gave him, like, four teeth, so that doesn't help. Yeah. You just feel bad for him. You feel like he should be in a home, I feel maybe, like he needs or... someone watching him. Yeah, and like, is someone af- looking after you, young man? Yeah. Though there are some fun visual gags with that, like, like after Gandalf pulls Sam out of a bush and scolds him, he does this little, like, <gasps> like kind of, like, like, gesture to him. 
kind of like puts his hands out like when you try like you peekaboo with a little kid and it and, works and it works and it so, totally works it's really funny See, Sam, Sam gets totally peekaboo I love him being spooked Gandalf goes to visit Saruman now this is a very confusing part of the movie yeah Saruman is Saruman for like the first no no no, no. he's not Saruman he's Oh, sorry. He's like Saruman. He is variously Saruman and Saruman. Saruman. For the first 20 minutes of the movie. Then, randomly, partway through the movie, they start calling him Aruman, and they call him Aruman for the rest of the film. Yeah. Now, the reason they did this is because, apparently, the crew was concerned that viewers were going to have a hard time telling the difference between Saruman and Sauron. They thought the name sounded too much alike. I think they say Sauron maybe three times in this movie. Like, I feel like he's not even a presence. Right, right, right. Like, I understand what they're saying, but isn't it more confusing to suddenly switch to Aruman halfway through? So that cool fight they have in Peter Jackson's version where you have, like, you know, they're, like, you know, launching around on the floor and, like, sticking their staffs out and all that. Um, Ralph Bakshi said, this is a cool fight, but what if it was just a bunch of lens flares flying around? Like, uh, galaxies. What, what if his, what if, what if a bunch of galaxies came out of his cloak when he opened it, and then the whole room turned into galaxies, and Gandalf and Saruman were just, like, floating around in galaxies? With, like, stairs, but there's, like, they shoot lens flares at each other. Yeah. And, uh, it's visually something. It's uh, (laughs) something. I'm stimulated. Yeah, although I like the magic effects that they have for when, when, around Saruman's hands, they, like, scratch up the the cell or the film or something. Like, that's cool. Hit it with some whiteout. I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. We got hobbits going through the woods. Now we're going, I mean, we're moving through the plot here. Merry and Pippin are there, like, almost from the beginning. There's no Fatty. There's no Tom Bombadil. There's no Barrow Downs. He basically mm-hmm. skips all the same stuff that Peter Jackson would later skip in his version. Now, eagle-eared listeners or watching parts with the hobbits might recognize a familiar tune. <laughs> Yes, that's right, folks. It's the Wart's Lightsaber's Precious theme song, the OG version. We use the the Mecco disco version of it for our podcast, but in case you wonder where that song came from, it's this movie. It's from this movie! That's one point in the, in, the, in the W column for this movie. The music is pretty good. Ralph Bakshi hated it. Really? He wanted Led Zeppelin to score it. Well, he that would. That is a true when, story. He would win. Yeah, he wanted Mick Jagger to play Frodo, too. So, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't trust his judgment. I think it's pretty good music. He just, like, you know. I like rock and roll. Well, yeah. I just like, I'm into like, like music. I know, I get it. He didn't like that it had an orchestral score. But regardless, okay, here's another thing. This is probably, to me, the biggest thing that Peter Jackson cribbed from this movie. The visual nod It's here. the hobbits hiding from the Nazgul underneath tree roots. The shot is almost identical, where you have, like, the top half of the frame, the Nazgul, like, sniffing around, and then the bottom half of the frame, the, the hobbits just cowering beneath a log. It's, like, very, it's pretty much the exact same shot that, that, Peter Jackie uses. So. Yeah, Peter Jackie, I like. I love your movies. Thank you so much for bringing him into this world. It's mm. given me so many thousands of hours of entertainment. But for you to try and say that you hadn't seen Bakshi's film, that is some shit, my good friend. I will point out, I really like the ring race in this movie. Um, they kind of change forms as the movie goes on. But when they first show up, they're kind of like these stumbling, limping dudes. They walk with a pronounced limp, and, and also like they have lower back injuries. And they they grumble like like Skeletor waking up in the morning. <laughs> At the beginning. And then later on, they're 
they, they're nothing like that, but I like them. I you like, like them. Okay, so you're not into the animation overall, but you, but you like the, the weird stumbling, I mumbling old it, man ring rates. I think it works for me because they're not supposed to be normal people. They're like undead monsters. Oh, just, they, like, just like elderly people. Yeah. Just yeah. like real elderly yeah. people. They're undead monsters. monsters that aren't ordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, they get away from the ring rates. They go to Bree. This is where we get our first taste of the different types of quote-unquote rotoscoping that Baxi uses. This is where you get the first... Um, instance of him using live action apart from the red gauze in the prologue i guess yeah. using live action and then just dialing the contrast way up and it doesn't look great well you know what i noticed this time around i f- i feel like it might be a stylistic choice in this scene because you have the hobbits they've just been hunted by nazgul they're really paranoid and so i feel like having them as like self animation and the people of Bree as like live action high contrast video i feel like it might kind of be like it shows the hobbits are outsiders they're not like the people of Bree. the people of Bree are strangers to them there's this whole thing if you read like scott mcleod's books where like the more simple a character is the more relatable they are the more realistic they look the less you project yourself onto them right and so having the hobbits be kind of simplified makes them more sympathetic than the live action people around them who are kind of giving them looks and in, in eyes and stuff i respect your opinion i completely disagree i think it was totally budgetary constraints uh, I think that he only ever uh, properly painted over the characters when they were main characters and and anybody who was a background character was just getting their contrast dialed up listen to me our backs I, I got your back okay I think I think you got his bakshi I got his bakshi dude I think I think he's got a reason for it that's my opinion that's how it felt for me watching it that's what I felt like oh man these people are weird and scary well maybe you I was wouldn't... like wait a minute that's how we're supposed to feel because the hobbits are new in town and they're kind of paranoid and they don't know who to trust. Well, obviously you and Ralph Bakshi share a headspace that I can never enter because I, I just thought it looked kind of cheap. I should, like, call him up. We should be friends. You should, definitely. You see Strider for the first time? His his outfit is very... It's so short. I finally figured out what I, what he looks like. Every time I watch this, I'm like, what does he look like? And I figured it out. Okay. He is if uh, Anton Chigurh from No Country from Old Men was in, like, a Robin Hood play. Okay. All right, so let's get this. Let's make sure everybody knows what you're talking about. Anton Chigurh, the bad guy, played by Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men, with that with that bob haircut, that horrible bob haircut. Yeah. Good choice, friendo. Yeah, he's the guy with the. With but the... if he was wearing like a sleeveless t-shirt with no pants and like just an unreasonably large belt, like this belt is like. It's like four feet abreast. Now, like, he's, it's very large. I will, he's not the only one with that big a belt buckle, but there's a lot of big belt buckles in this movie. I think it's just kind of like the fashion of Middle Earth and Ralph Bakshi's vision. But yeah, he's a, it's a real bold choice. Of course, we're used to seeing Vigo, so maybe this is how he's always supposed to look? I, I don't know. I would like to point out later, not to jump ahead, but Boromir also is pantsless. He's oh, not you're wearing right. any pants. Yeah, I think, I think men wear pants in Bakshi's version. Well, but Legolas wears pants. Yeah. Is is your manliness, like, related in inverse proportion to, like, your likelihood of wearing pants? I don't know. Does Gimli- Legolas wear pants because he's a little namby-pamby boy? Gimli has too much pants later in Gimli's, the movie. Gimli's pants are too long. Yeah. Uh, he needs to cuff them. They, he is in danger of tripping over his pants. That's how much pants he has. No, we should also point out Strider voiced by actor late great John Hurt. Yes. Yeah. Did, you, did you confirm that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably the biggest name in this. Although there's one other name that listeners of this podcast will recognize. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it later. It proceeds as as it does. Ring wraiths go and try to stab him in their beds. Aragorn brings him down to his room. The 
Ringways do a lot of like synchronized sword moves in this movie. They do. They, they kind of like almost like like kind of like they're a hive mind. They're like yeah, it's like synchronized swimming, but with weapons. And they kind of like do the same. They kind of touch their swords together in the air. They kind of all stab at the same time in the same. Swings. It's also like less of a stabbing motion, and I think supposed to be more of a slashing motion. But it looks like they're just kind of slapping the duvet with their the the broadside of their swords. Also, they um they don't use stairs they are on their horses and then they disappear and then they're in the bedroom okay but in ralph bakshi's defense animating people going upstairs is just really annoying it, you don't have to show it though you can just cut to like you know ring race lurking in the room right, i don't think you understand whenever ralph bakshi w- had a character go from point a to point b yeah. in this movie he showed the entire thing so yeah. if he was gonna have yeah. them go up the stairs he would be contractually obliged to show the entire thing <laughs> you're right so they just kind of teleport in the horses are gone. Where'd they go? We don't know. Don't know. They're just gone. They faded with them. Yeah. The next uh, is they, they they go to Weathertop. I just want to mention this moment. Uh, in my notes, I wrote uh, Ralph Bakshi gay agenda question mark. Oh, no. Really? So there's a lot of like dopey eyed smiles from oh, the hobbits. Yeah. Especially I don't know Sam exactly why. Sam, Sam's got a lot of dope. I mean, he's dope. So he's got a lot of dopey And eyes. it's not just like Frodo and Sam giving it to each other. Like Frodo gives a bunch of dopey smiles at, at Gandalf. Like mm-hmm, if, it, mm-hmm. if their smiles had a sound effect, it would be like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of that i wonder how much of that came from the actors or how much that came from bakshi like, dopier dopier make him more dopey so aragorn tells the story on top of weathertop of uh baron and luthien yeah that was cool he mentions baron was luthien's love mm-hmm. and they cut to frodo and sam giving each other a dopey smile and then slowly leaning towards each other as if to kiss they kind of like touch foreheads they kind of touch foreheads yeah yeah, it's very cute. Yeah, the whole Weathertop bit, like once the Ringwraiths show up, it's very similar to, to Petey Jack's version. Right down to like the slow-mo mm-hmm. when, when, when the ring is on and he's in kind of in ring world. Yeah. And like he can kind of see ghostly versions of Aragorn fighting on the outside. Like, no, Frodo! It's like, it's like, Petey. Yeah, PJs. might have been something to that. It's also one of the most tolerable action scenes. In it's this. pretty cool. Yeah. Overall, the action scenes in this movie are like indefensibly boring. A lot so of, boring. A lot of like horses riding on nondescript backgrounds, close-ups of guys falling over, um, flashes of red. Uh, sometimes there's blood spray, but it's not very cool or convincing. Um, also, a lot of guys in gorilla masks. A lot less of the orcs become. The orcs, like, they start out kind of, like, cool and scary, and then eventually, I guess, as Bakshi either started to run out of money or hit scenes that were too hard to paint over every single character, mm-hmm. he just slapped some gorilla masks on some guys. And it's not really hidden at all. No. 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 So anyway, Frodo gets stabbed. Glorfindel doesn't pick him up. It's Legolas. Yeah. Played can- by... Anthony Daniel, C-3PO himself. So he plays a combination of Legolas and Glorfy, baby. He doesn't sound like C-3PO in this movie. I mean, you notice he never talks about how Legolas is his friend. So I would say that he doesn't care for this part. No, no. I, yeah. don't, th- I don't think he's really he given it all. He doesn't have the same connection to Legolas that he has to C-3PO. Right. Obviously. But- Obviously. Uh, Legolas is really cat-eyed. He's got a real mean girl face. A real mean girl face. So there's a part where Sam says to Legolas, Mr. Frodo's sick and he needs a rest. And Legolas makes a face like, ugh. Yeah. This peasant. Ugh, come on. This peasant. It's really similar to earlier when Gandalf is talking about how if Frodo gives him the ring, though he would desire to use it for good, he would ultimately end up using it for evil. Right. And Frodo (laughs) 
<laughs> makes this incredible face that's just like, ew. Like he smelled a fart or something. Like, like he just ripped one in his face. Oh, come on, old man. Maybe he did. <laughs> that happens a couple times where people make ew faces apropos of nothing. Now, this part on the river is the most... Boring. It's maybe one of the most boring parts of the movie. It's... It, the background fades away. It's it's Frodo on a horse stumbling around. The Black Riders on the other side, kind of just loitering and making noises, and it just goes back and forth between them. I mean, the background imagery creeps changing, but it goes from incomprehensible image to other incomprehensible There's... image. So it's like a bunch of weird tie dye or something and then it's like a lightning storm colored purple and there's no sense of space no sense of distance no sense of time they're just like stumbling around i think i timed it one time it's like 12 minutes it's it's which long. feels like about 12 years. like it's long because you have no sense of distance or you don't know how far away the the ring wraiths are from frodo you have no idea if it's even over the river yet you don't know what's going on it's just and it's all like zoomed out and like i will say though i really like how the nazgul look in this part they have, like, the way the uh, the high-contrast video does on. Well, it makes them look kind of ghostly. They look like um, like Mike Mignola art. If you know Mike Mignola, he does uh, Hellboy. Hellboy and uh, BPRD and stuff like that. Uh, it looks like his kind of art, like the really high contrast. I really like how their horses have, like, red mouths and they open and red eyes. Like, they're kind of like hell horses. Mm-hmm. I really like how those look. I think I, I, think, yeah. I think the this part, they look cool. This is probably the only part where the high-contrast thing works for me. Yeah. And they don't look like stumbling old men anymore. They have like really cool helmets that are like really intricately designed and stuff. And they got like some back braces or something, so they're not all stooped anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think they look really cool. Maybe in they this got part. like a couple of their spines fused to like fix whatever slip disc issue is. Again, Ralphie, I'm trying to get your back. She, but in this, uh, that's that's the only saving grace of this part. It it's is so boring. It is trash. It's so boring. But anyway, so whatever that happens, and Frodo gets to Rivendell. Yeah. Now. <laughs> There's not much to talk about in Rivendell, except that they do the scene, which is also in Peter Jackson's version, mm-hmm. where Bilbo wants to see the ring one more time, and then seeing the ring one more time causes him to go kind of cuckoo. Yeah, he goes all, in the movie, he turns into kind of a goblin face. In, in Peter Jackson's movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he turns into like a goblin face. It is intensely terrifying. If you were a child when you first watched the movie, I guarantee you remember that instance. It'd be scary. In this, he just kind of has a stroke. His hands go all shaky. His eyes are, like, going two different ways. His mouth is, like, lolling around. He's like... <laughs> and then Frozo- Frodo raises a fist as if to punch him. I noticed that. He raised a hand at his, at his dear Uncle Bilbo. Because this is such a disgusting display. He also mentioned to me it's the same uh, physical actor that played uh, Sam, Sam in this movie. Sam, so Sam. they have a lot of the same dopey mannerisms, but... Maybe it'll tone down on for, on on Bilbo until yes. he starts freaking out over the ring. Yes, we meet the other characters that you know the the, the council of Elrond. Yeah, so Boromir's a Viking with also no pants. Elrond is just a guy with brown hair and a white t-shirt. Uh, Gimli is literally a Snow White and the Seven Dwarves dwarf. He's got like a floppy hat and everything. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, there's no, there's nothing on the level of Hobbitit's Boromir as a Jap- Japanese samurai with tattoos. There's yeah. nothing like that. Right. But there are some interesting choices. Elrond's like little. She's just this dude. He's just like, he doesn't even have it's pointy really ears. Weird. They don't give him point. I know he's supposed to be half Elrond, but they don't give him pointy ears. He looks like a guy who just wandered onto set in a white t-shirt. And like a little gold medallion, and just sat down. They put a cape on him. He has pants, I guess, but like he doesn't. Well, look... I put some a step book Boromir and Aragorn. I he guess. doesn't look interesting in any way. It's he sits at a bigger chair than everyone, but that's about it. Yeah, one thing that's interesting in this that I think maybe Peter Jackson's movie misses out on. Yeah, is that in this version they go out of their way to explain why Mordor is later found to be so poorly guarded. They say. Quote, he, Sauron, can't imagine anyone trying to destroy it, the mm, ring. Okay. 
So I think we talked about this in another episode, but Sauron is literally so so greedy and has been so motivated by power and manipulation from his inception mm-hmm. that the idea of someone having the ring and not trying to use it to gain power, try to just throw it away instead, is just he can't even it's, conceive of it. He's really uh he's got his eye on the prize, you know. He's yeah. not worried about the He assumes whoever finds it is, gonna is going eat. to use it. He's and ma- then it's good, they're gonna be easy for him to find. He's making an ass out of you and me. Me. That's what you did, Sauron. Anyway, that's one point in Bakshi's column. Right. Good job. Check. They go on their adventure. Frodo says, I will take it, but you don't know the way the whole bit of uh, Saruman suddenly becomes Aramon right around oh here. yeah that's right yep. they talk about Aramon right yeah uh, yeah yeah and also like you know another of my order Aramon and I'm like who the hell is that and one part sounds like Arrow Man it's like, Arrow Man <laughs> well sometimes Saruman sounded like Suraman or whatever it's, so it's like no 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 Legolas is the Arrow Man <laughs> just make a pronunciation and yeah. stick with it for Christ's sake all right so they go through the mountain they get to the mines of Moria there's a really satisfying part where the watcher grabs Frodo and Boromir shows that his sword has the power to just make shit explode. I really like the watcher in the water in this in this part in this movie. I think it looks really cool. I think Boromir chopping the tentacles is really satisfying. Because they just reason. explode with green blood. Yeah, and like they give it a ton of tentacles and they're like all grasping and reaching inside the door. And it looks it's re- good. It looks really cool. It looks really now, good. this is what I, this is, you know, like this is maybe why they should have just done it like that because obviously they didn't have like a tentacle monster on set to paint over. Right. Maybe they should have just just, just animated, just animated it? it like a movie. But Ryan, they only had four million dollars, so they spent half of and it like making a live action version. Of it. Yeah, I know. and the other two million went to the Watcher in the Water because yeah. it looks really good. He looks awesome. So uh, throughout this part, the main characters keep changing between being totally painted over and just having their contrast dialed up, which is irritating. But anyway, it just keeps happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where my this is my argument to make everyone kind of like you know to make your sympathies go with the animated characters falls apart because they switch between them constantly. And it takes forever to read his book. Yep, Gandalf takes forever. He also, like, does a lot of hand gestures to make it spookier for Pippin. So he's, like, right up in Pippin's face. He's like, drums in the deep! We cannot get out! Looks like they all died, Pippin! Yeah. And, and, and Pippin gets scared, and he holds Gandalf's hand with his little, like a little hand. Like a little boy. He goes, I don't want to be in the mines of Moria! And then Gandalf, like, rubs his cheek. Yeah, it's, it's... Who scared him in the first place, you old dick? With your weird claw <laughs> you, gestures? You knew what you were doing. Yeah. Oh, mine's yeah. a Mori a bit. I was in the bathroom from a lot of this. So. Okay, so I'll tell you what happened. They get chased by orcs, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's Gandalf no cave troll. Cool, Gandalf did some cool dodging of arrows. Um, Yeah, that is actually a really... I've seen that as a gift, because it's a dope part. He does like these cool side-to-sides. They're shooting arrows through the door, and he's like... <laughs> dodging them with his head. It's it's very cool. That's probably one of the coolest shots <laughs> in the whole movie, to be yeah. honest. Uh, but what follows isn't quite as cool. So they're getting chased oh, the around by orcs. Again, it's very disorienting because the backgrounds aren't super distinct. There's a part where Aragorn jumps in front of the orcs and says, Come no closer! I warn you! And then I wrote, It works? Question <laughs> mark. So the orcs literally line up and stop and then Aragorn just like runs away like, do-do-do. And the orcs just, they stay there. They stay where he told him. Some directions. Yeah, yeah. And then Bork Mary goes, Simon didn't say so! <laughs> Like, oh, darn it. <laughs> damn it, every time. Now, this is where the Balrog shows up. Oh, and Ryan, you were in the bathroom for this. And I came that out. is much to your detriment because the Balrog is incredible no, in this no, movie. No, no, I had to rewind it so you could see this, this, this cutie. I want you to imagine this, okay? It's a normal-sized dude. When, when he's shown compared to the orcs. Later when he's with Gandalf, they tried to scale him up to make him bigger a little bit, he's but a reg- only a little he's bit. He's a regular-sized guy. He's a regular-sized dude. He is wearing a lion mask. 
Yeah. Um, the mouth of which does not move. It's just a really so big... It's, it's just like, a really big mask. It's a big lion head, almost like the kind you'd have in like a parade, like a big paper mache head. Right, right. He has that. He's also wearing butterfly wings. They're very big butterfly wings. They're supposed wings. to be like bat wings, but he looks like Mothra. Yeah. So. And, and he's waving a whip around. Mm-hmm. Also, he flies. His his wings don't like flap when he flies, but oh, he no, does no, fly. No, no. So a- anybody who's keeping score on the does the Balrog have wings or not uh, debate, that's one point in the yes, he does column. Because not only does he have butterfly wings in this, he flies. But it also is a check in the, well, a partial check. It's like half a check in the Balrog is a man-sized creature. That's argument. true. That is he, true. So that's how he can fit through tunnels. Kills Gandalf, apparently. The hobbits don't seem that upset when Gandalf falls. They're just kind of like, oh, shit. But- yeah, so so basically Frodo's just like kind of annoyed that this has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, not particularly distressed. From here, they skip almost directly to Galadriel and Celeborn. Yeah, Lothlorien. Um, Sam in front of Galadriel is at his do 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 Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. So oh, boy. And hides his face and then runs off like a little giggling schoolgirl. He's a little bashful butthole. She shows them her mirror. They keep saying that they see things in the water, but all that the viewer can see is just like psychedelic swirls and shit. It's a kaleidoscope. It's like a kaleidoscope. They yeah, filmed exactly. the kaleidoscope for this part. And then just like pasted it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, they leave Lothlorien in the boats. For some reason, they make the hobbits do all the rowing. Nobody else is rowing. Gimli rows. Yeah, only little people row. Gimli and the hobbits only small small people do the rowing. That's the world that's, we live that's, in. That's, that's the rule of the fellowship. Little yes. people row. It's in the contract you signed. So the whole thing happens where Bormir tries to take the ring for blah, 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 blah. There's not really anything to talk about at this point, I don't it's think. It's pretty much the same. It's fine. It's pretty much the same. It's pretty much the same. But... In my opinion, from this point on, the movie takes a nosedive in terms of quality. Quality of pacing, quality of editing, quality of animation. I really think it goes downhill. I really think the movie is, like, not bad up till this point if you take out the Fords of Bruin. And the Fords of Bruin is so goddamn boring. But if you take that out, I really think it's not bad up to this point. I think it's a case where, from this point on... I think the highs are pretty high, but they're kind of few and far between. The lows are very low. Very low. It's so, so many just live action, high contrast monstrosities and gorilla masks just like walking around. It's just really uncinematic and really boring. Um, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli chasing after Merry and Pippin is so damn boring. They also keep in Aragorn tripping over a stick, yeah, which is really Yeah, they animated funny. it. They took the time to paint over it with a new Aragorn that trips on the ground. Like, did they tell Aragorn's actor to do that, or was it just a mistake? And they're like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna draw it over It shows that. his struggle. <laughs> to be fair, listeners, we kind of put it on, like, 1.5 speed for a lot of this part, because oh, it was so it's long. so boring. So it was even uh, 10 times speed, because it was dull. Luckily, I've seen this a few times, so I knew which parts we could fast forward through. Luckily, we came back, we hit play, and it sounded like an orc called Mary a cunt. <laughs> you need to put that sound clip in yeah. here if you could. Grishnak calls Mary a cunt. So. so that's a high point. When yeah. Ryan earlier said that the high points were real high, that's a real high. There's high a, also, Grishnak's fun in this movie because the hobbits, uh, Pippin and Mary, are they're, they're kind of being uh, facetious, being like, "Oh, where's the bed and breakfast?" And Grishnak's like, "Bed and breakfast in Isengard." Understand. Oh, and it's like, you know something? sick. You know something? I bet there's not. I bet there's not. I bet Isengard does not give them bed and breakfast. I bet he's goofing on them. Yeah, I bet he's goofing now, on them. this is a part, though, where the, the contrast between the animation styles is so pronounced that it looks silly. Because you have these, these high-contrast live-action orcs carrying the animated hobbits on their backs. 
and they're like flat cell animation and the orcs are like textured sort of live action looking things and so it's like real roger rabbit kind of thing where it's like looks like like it was charming in roger rabbit i feel like it was on purpose in roger rabbit because they were tones in this case Mary and Pippin aren't tones. They're being they're supposed to be in the same world as these orcs and they're in the same scene. They're being carried by the orcs. Also, Roger Rabbit had shadows and highlights to try and make him right, blend right. more of the three they don't in no, this. They're totally the hobbits flat. are flat and the orcs are textured and shadowed, so it looks looks real weird. Yeah. Looks real weird. Looks like a real real or and maybe not a Roger Rabbit situation, maybe a real cool world situation. Maybe cool here. world. Maybe this is the precursor to Cool World, which came out in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, Bakshi's like, that looks pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so again, this part is just really boring. We get to Mordor, Sam and Frodo and Mordor. Gollum shows up. Not too much to say about this, except I was very confused by his loincloth. Because what? it's the same color as his skin. Oh, it's confusing. It's very, So at first, I thought he just had like some strings hanging down. And I was like, hey, where's his dick? Now, Maybe. One what I'm I- trying to say is I was concerned about his dick. Now, Gollum is one case where I kind of wish they did act it up a bit more. Like yeah, he could have gone hot, like totally ham on he's, it. He's right? a little he bit have... subdued. He's, he has this way of saying, he says, my precious. My precious. My precious. He doesn't say my precious, like, my precious. He kind of like tips his fedora and says, my precious. Because it's, <laughs> it's my birthday. He says that too. But he's, he, it's my birthday. He's kind of theatrical in the way he talks. He rolls his R's. He's kind of a lisp. But, but he doesn't go nearly as crazy as Andy Serkis does. And that's probably the problem. We're really used to Andy Serkis going, like, just all out. Yeah, so he's like, Smeagol's going to be my precious. He sounds, he's kind of just kind of goofy. He could go a lot harder with it. I agree. He could go a lot harder with it. Um, the fight between Amor's dudes and the orcs. This is the next thing we go to. It's also very boring. Maybe because of the background. Because of the uninspired cinematography. Maybe because it's all just a bunch of dudes in gorilla masks. Yeah, we skipped a bunch. And Viking hats. I just don't care. It's very boring. Treebeard shows up. Well, it's a, okay. You have to explain because there's Merry and Pippin escape from the orcs. They go into the forest and they say, oh, it's so nice in here. It looks so different during the daytime. Hard cut to. Suddenly being carried by Treebeard. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say, I think Treebeard is my favorite character design in this movie. Really? He's he only, looks like a root vegetable. He looks awesome. He's only he's only in one scene. But he has like a literal physical, like a man beard. I, Not like a beard made of leaves, like a no, man beard. No, but I don't care about that. He's like got this awesome cartoony character design to him. I love the way he walks. His, his legs kind of go like all the way around. I do like uh, how his legs are so short. And he's That's got like, cute. he's a real upper torso looking thing. He's got like a, a stump for a nose. He just looks like this awesome cartoon tree man. And, but like, not in like a stupid way. He looks cool. And I, it, ma- it makes me wish for the movie where he all the characters look like Treebeard. Like okay. not, they're all, not all tree men, but they all have... <laughs> they're all root vegetables no, man where, they, where they all have that same kind of stylistic flair to them. And they're not just like dudes in t-shirts. They didn't have... They hadn't just confined themselves so... Because I know Ralph actually wanted to make it realistic, but I think he confined himself too much to that and it wasn't fun. But sometimes. the thing is, Treebeard's not realistic at all. He's a very clearly... I know. He's a cartoon Which character. Which is why maybe why it worked for you. He doesn't work as well for me. I always thought he looks goofy, but... But no, I like his goofiness and I, it makes me wish like... The rest of the movie looks kind of boring in comparison to Treebeard. That is fair. That is fair. You cut back from Treebeard and it's like... Because <laughs> a lot of the rest of the movie just looks boring, period. Right. If they had put a little bit more stylistic flair into all the characters, even if they painted over live-action actors, I think it would help the movie a lot. As far probably. as like being being visually mem- memorable. Probably. So. Probably. Speaking of visually memorable, let's talk about the recap of Gandalf's fight with the Balrog. Yeah, he goes into psychedelic hell. It was literally just a bunch of still photos that look like they're from well, like, they're, they're paintings. M- like black metal album covers. Yeah. But like, 
It was kind of cool. There's painting zooming around, but it was one of the best sequences in the movie. It's in my honestly opinion. preferable to most fight scenes in the movie. See, I would say, okay, I would say Treebeard's a high high for me. I'd say the psychedelic hell's a high high for me for this the second half of the movie. Like, if you've ever played the game Talisman, it looks like the mm. center of the board in Talisman, basically. Kind of. Yeah. But it's also a lot brighter and crazier looking. It's and cool. Like, why can't we get some more of that visual flair in other fight scenes? Or any scene. Or any scene. Goddamn. Oh, but you know what? You know who does have flair? Oh, Wormtongue. Wormtongue. <laughs> now, Grima Wormtongue, or Grima, as I Grima, call they call him Grima. He's a little creep with a Gomez Adams mustache. He's got a, he's like half the height of everybody. He's not a hobbit. No, he's, he's not. A, he's just very little. little he's just little. This little guy he's in a black little. cape. He has t- perfectly, the whites of his eyes are completely pink. So you know he bakes. You know he bakes. You know he's, he's been high as, high as heck. Which is maybe why he's like so tactily into stroking Theoden's beard. Oh, it's real weird. He's, he's he like hanging on to daddy's to cloak. Theoden. He clings yeah. to Theoden. But the problem is, like, because he's so much smaller than Theoden, he's clinging like an inch from his dick half the time. Okay, that's your mind. That's your. He own. is. He looks like a creep. Yeah. Uh, his, it's a fun character design. It is. But again, that's what I mean. It's if funny. everyone, if Wormtongue and Treebeard were the model by which all the characters were kind of like, okay, make them as stylized as these guys. Yeah, can you just like make people more cartoony. Right. Like the Rankin Bass movies are so good because they're they're car- cartoony. Like Gollum in those movies is like a weird frog thing, but he looks awesome. And all the orcs like look like orcs and not men wearing monkey masks. Right. Right. They're like, yeah, they they have like a real monstery look to them. They they got big mouths. It's like, I love that. Yeah. Uh, but maybe I'm just a cartoon guy. So maybe maybe it's not. Ralph Bakshi was going for He really wanted realism in this, which I think might not have served him that well. We go back to Frodo and Sam in Mordor. I, I, this is when I noticed that Smeagol crawls on his hands and knees like a baby. Like, he, he's on all fours when he's Andy Serkis, yeah. right? But it's kind of like this loping gait where he's, like, up on his toes. He's not on his knees. Yeah. And, and, and Smeagol just crawls like a like a, like a eight-month-old baby. Yeah, like, Andy Serkis is, like, the kind of the bear walk, you yeah. know? Yeah. What else is bizarre is there's a part where Frodo gets mad at him. And so, to appease Frodo, he kisses his toes? He, like, licks him. And, yeah. like, and Frodo wipes it off after he leaves the scene. Frodo's expression is the exact one I would make. He looks Ooh. grossed out of existence. We then get to that Battle of Homesteep, which sucks. It's probably the part Bakshi was, like, most excited about because there's so many dudes on screen. That's mm-hmm. one of the things he talked about a lot. Like, you've never seen an animation with, like, this many people on screen. Like, this, this many in a crowd. It's groundbreaking. But the thing is, like... It's so boring. It's all live action with the yeah. contrast dialed up. It, it, it's it's not, you can't just say it's exciting because it has so many dudes in it. They're not doing anything. They're walking around. It's really boring. We fast forwarded through this and this is, we thought, okay, we're going to get past this. I mean, first time I watched this movie, I should say, we're already through this. Give me something cool at the end. No. no, there's nothing. No. No, there's nothing. In fact, the very nadir of animation quality comes at the end, which is where... I guess this is supposed to be orcs being killed. They zoom in on one actor with like a monkey mask, just yeah. like a still image of him going, ah, and then a burst of purple blood behind him. They do that a couple times. That's where it really hits rock bottom for me. They fight. It's, that's what it is. It's just Gandalf swings, orc goes, ah, and the, at the end, they're victorious, and Gandalf, Gandalf throws his sword in the air. It does not come back <laughs> down at any point. And then they're, they're so it's just, he just launches it and he yeets it into orbit. So yeah, well, I guess we'll have to see what happens in the second uh, Ralph Bakshi. Oh Lord wait, except it never came out. Oh, oh no. no! I mean, he's still alive. He's like eighty-two or something, so he could still theoretically finish it off. Oh boy! Just watch the Rankin Bass one, you guys. Jeez it Louise. has it has songs. Well, how's your opinion? 
changed. Any final notes on Lord of the Rings Ralph Bakshi's edition? I think I understand more what he was going for. Like, I, I do think that the animation looks strange, but I think if I watched a whole movie of it, I'd get used to it, and mm-hmm. it would be, like, kind of charming or whatever. And I really do think that the movie doesn't get bad until after the Fellowship of the Ring part, and then it just takes a nosedive. I really think everything up through Fellowship of the Ring is okay. Yeah. And that is a big shift from probably my younger years, where I was just like, this all sucks. Why 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 does Frodo grab his head so much? Yeah. Would you recommend watching it? No. Not uh, even for Lord well, of the Rings fans? No, if you're a major Lord of the Rings fan, actually, yes, I would. I think it's really interesting, and you can see where Peter Jackson got some of his inspiration. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I would recommend if you're a Lord of the Rings fan watching like every version, because I have tried to. But um, if you're looking for like a good movie, like if you're having a, a girl over. And you're like, oh, she told me she's a huge Lord of the Rings fan. This is going to win her over. Like, no, it won't. No, don't watch this one. It won't. You guys are going to break up. I'll say watch it, but have that fast forward button ready. Ready. Anytime it starts going into, anytime you see like a sizable crowd on the screen and it looks like an action scene is going to start, hit that fast forward button. Anytime, it's going to get real boring. Yeah. Anytime the background fades into like clouds or something, it's like, nope, we're nope, going to do this. I'm out. I'm yeah, out. But you, Ryan? Well, we uh, talked a little bit earlier about a movie that Ralph Bakshi made called Wizards. Yep. It might surprise you that this movie has a pretty strong connection, well, stronger than Lord of the Rings, to the Star Wars franchise. It doesn't surprise me because I just read a bunch of Wikipedia articles about Ralph Bakshi, but I'll humor you. Yes, I'm What the hell? Are you serious? You're just faking Get it. the hell out. Okay, so at the time that... That Wizards was made, Ralph Bakshi and George Lucas were really good pals. They're longtime friends, actually. They've been friends their whole lives. They met in 1977 for Mm -hmm. the first time when George was having a hard time getting this movie called Star Wars made, and Ralph was trying to get this movie called Wizards made, or War Wizards at the time. Didn't they have, like, the same producer or somebody? Well, they're both founded by Fox, and (laughs) they actually went together to a meeting to ask Fox for a budget increase. They're both at that same meeting where they're both rejected. They're both denied. <laughs> by Fox. The box went off and did it his own way by paying out of his own pocket. And George kind of did the same thing. Uh, he got a little more funding, but a lot of that funding came from selling the merchandise rights. Uh, yep, the toys. The toy the, line. Yeah. It's a thing where he says, I'll sell you the rights. Uh, I only want 10% of the profits. And of course, it was the biggest toy line of all time. So he did that. He still did all some right, bank though. <laughs> oh, he did great. There's another connection, too, though, in Wizards. One of the voice actors in it is a little guy named Mark Hamill. Ah, yeah. So, you mean Han Solo? Yeah, I mean Han Solo, the guy with the um, like the old man, you know. Yeah, the old man who gets killed by Darth Vader at the end of the first movie. No, no, he he's like the old man in like the black suit. Um, and uh, oh, like the with the with the with the respirator mask. No, 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 the old man in like the with like the cheekbones. Um, oh yeah, the guy who says "Faro and ready." No, 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 no. I mean, like the girl who with the, with the donuts on her head. Oh, you mean Ray? Yeah, I mean Ray. Okay, you that's mean what Ray. I mean. Got it. So. Bakshi said that uh, Mark needed a job and he came to me and I thought he was great and Lucas thought he should do it. So he got to not do not only Wizards, he got Star Wars too. Mark Hamill takes some time off Star Wars to do Wizards. Yeah. As a favor to George Lucas, Bakshi changed the name of the movie from War Wizards to Wizards so that Star Wars and War Wizards would not be confused with each other. I I don't think that would have been. <laughs> so you can see this is a very strong connection to Star Wars. All right, interesting. So does that mean yeah. we're going to watch Wizards now? Yeah, we're going to watch Wizards. Just because these two boys, I mean, there's, you have to imagine, though, there's, there's an alternate universe where Star Wars 
it's kind of like a one-off, kind of like weird little fluke. And Wizards is the thing that's going to be bought by Disney. And, and they're of- going to have an entire like Wizards part of the Disney theme park. Yes, yes, Wizards Land. So we'll keep that in mind. Have you seen Wizards before? I've not. I've seen the action movies. I've seen are Lord of the Rings and Fire and Ice. Those are the only ones I've seen. Okay, uh, I watched Wizards like in college, but I barely remember it because I wasn't really paying that close attention. It was like, yeah, well, we're going to watch it, and we'll get back to you uh, as soon as we're done watching it. All right. Here we go. So we just watched Ralph Bakshi's Wizards, his 1977 masterpiece of fantasy sci-fi adventure and Nazis. All right, Joanna, tell us overall, what's the plot of our movie Wizards? Okay, well, it involves a lot more Hitler than I expected. Yeah, that was kind of uh, left out of left field. I, I realized something about 20 minutes into this movie, and I thought I saw this movie. I didn't. I haven't seen this movie. You said that you'd seen it before in college. I thought I had. I'm thinking, but I think no matter how little attention you were paying, you definitely would have remembered that Hitler is in it like a lot. And I did not remember the Nazi stuff, so which is quite prevalent. So I'm thinking, I've never seen this movie until now. Okay, so so let me set you up because there's like a frame narrative here, um, and the frame narrative goes real buck wild, real fast. It it opens up on like this this slab, this engraving that says the powers of technology and magic. And then in a voiceover, a, a very soothing sounding woman says, The world blew up in a thousand atomic fireballs. Yeah, the woman's voice is really good. It's the narrator. really excellent. It's really excellent. So basically the story is all of Earth has gotten blown up by atomic weapons. Uh, it's two million years later. There's atomic mutants running around. So half the world is full of mutants, but half the world is full of magic. And fairies. Fairies. So, so the- like, the fairies and elves, they aren't mutants. Like, they were already on our Earth before it blew up, but for some reason, like, humans didn't survive, or they survived as mutants. But, like, fairies survived the world blowing up. Which, incidentally, if the if it still exists, if the planet still exists, it didn't blow up, did it? Like, a lot of bombs went off. Yeah, they're saying it got irradiated. It got irradiated. It's an irradiated wasteland. But that is a hell of a way to get the viewer's attention right from the top. The world blew up. We got a story about one of these fairy ladies giving birth to twins. Yeah, yeah. And the way it's described in this narration, I'll try to do this voice as best I can. Try and do it. Not ordinary twins, but magical wizards. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much how she says it. So there's this fairy queen called Delia. She gets a weird feeling during a party and she goes inside and just like randomly gives birth. Was she pregnant before? I don't know. Did the weird feeling impregnate her? Was it the Holy Spirit? Was she destined to have two twin wizard babies? I don't know, but it's important to note that one is a good wizard and one is an evil wizard. This is a real goofus and gallant situation. On the one side, you got Avatar, the nice wizard, the good boy, the one who's trying to help the world and make it more beautiful and healing those who are irradiated. He loves his mama. He spends all his time with her. He nurses her on her sick bed. But on the other side... Oof, we got Black Wolf. He's dark and scary. He was born with skeleton arms. And he likes to do bad things and hang out with mutants. He doesn't visit his mother and it says he tortures small animals for fun. That's how you know he's bad news. Incidentally, I mean, I guess if he was born with skeleton arms, they probably knew right from the beginning he was going to be bad. But his mom named him Black Wolf? Yeah. She's like, I know this kid is evil. Like, should, why even buy it? Let's not even try to, like, smooth that one over. Now, unlike the beginning of Lord of the Rings, which is on a red potato sack, this is all told in these kind of cool interstitial il- illustrations. They're good, too. They're on, like, brown paper, just black ink and white pencil. They look real classy. They're really cool. Great way to set it up. 
I thought. Then we cut to 3,000 years later. So let me let me get this straight. So the Earth's blown up, and then 2 million years pass. This fairy queen gets a weird feeling and pops out some kids, and then 3,000 years pass. Right, so now Avatar and Black Wolf are 3,000 years old, and we pick up in the land of... At least, because we don't know how long they lived before well, the mom true. died. That's true, that's true. Yeah, the mom dies, by the way, well, and that's when the wizard brothers go their separate ways. So Scorch is this kingdom uh, that's kind of like a like a... It's drawn like a German expressionist silent movie, which I don't think anyone's going to give a crap about. But it's like it's kind of cool though. Like it's real, um, like grotesque and complex. It's all just like these ultra detailed Mm -hmm. pen uh, ink drawings, and I don't know. It's real cool. It's got real like narrow walkways and like kind of weird angles, and it's got fairy hookers. It does have fairy hookers that are are trying to entice the devil into paying them for sex. Right. But meanwhile, it's also got these robot assassins that the evil wizard sends out. Yep. And uh, it focuses on one assassin called Necron 99. Yeah, and Black Wolf sends him out to stop any sort of, like, talk about magic and things like that. And so we see Necron shoot up a story time. Yeah, so there's this old man. The old man says, the only true technology is nature. All other technology is a perversion. I love grandpa's stories. And then this red robot with a with a, like a machine gun comes in and just blasts the old man. Which is pretty violent, pretty graphic. This is kind of your first time. This is not. This is, again. This, this is, is not Disney. This is a backseat joint. This, this is, is not. This is for a grown-ups. This is adult themes. I should mention, too, the soundtrack. He didn't like Lord of the Rings soundtrack because it was all orchestral. Most of the soundtrack of this is kind of like jazz or prog rock. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, like, I can kind of see the Led Zeppelin thing now. Yeah, there's kind of some... Having seen what he used previously. And also we see what future horses look like. They have two legs and they're kind of like a bouncy horse. They're like also kind of like a dog. Right. But they are really bouncy. They're they're round. They have ample backsides. They fall off cliffs and they survive because they're, they're thick. If you've seen the cover of this movie, it's got the red robot Necron riding on this big, cute, bouncy horse. And so, yeah, the, all the creatures of this world ride these around. Necron's hunting down some elves in the forest. He, he kills one of them. The elf shoots Necron's horse in the, in the freaking... Remaining elf. Remaining elf. Shoots Necron's two-legged horse in the freaking head. Oh my god, like headshot. That's Blood. an instant that's an instant MA if this were a video game. But actually right. this movie is rated PG. How? I don't know. So now now Necron's dehorsed, the elf is also dehorsed, and they're like Fighting in the ocean. Fighting in the ocean, trying to uh trying to catch each other. Cut to a little red bearded guy saying Damn it. He's now <laughs> this is first of all a swear. Yeah, that's another sign this is not a kid's movie. Second of all, this is our hero. This is Avatar. Yeah, the one of the good boy. He's this kind of funky little short wizard with a big red beard that goes all the way down to his feet. He was barefoot. He smokes a cigar with his toes. He sits in an old armchair that has like a bunch of springs sticking out of it. He's drinking wine out of a out of a glass. In fact, his house is just a round windowless room with two chairs, one table, and a bottle of wine. It's That's all the, there is. It's on the top of a tower by but, the ocean. Yes. He's also got a couple of roommates. One is this um, brawless fairy lady who's really stacked. Her Another, name is Eleanor. Yeah, and she's the daughter of the president of the free states. Wow. Who's the guy with the mask. Yeah, she's got a real sort of... She's got a real... She's coquettish. Coquettish. She's got this character design where she's wearing a very skimpy outfit. You can see her nips at all times, like, protruding through her out- through a silky dress. She's got, like, fairy wings and stuff, but... Purple eyeshadow. Purple eyeshadow. She's pretty, uh... Sexy. For being, like, one of the few female characters in this movie, she's, uh... Sexy. Maybe not 
great representation. This movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test. So, not 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 like a movie that appeals to me as a woman per se, but uh, so that's his one roommate. His other roommate is this like weird guy wearing a Piero mask. That's oh. the president. That's the president. Oh, okay. You didn't catch that? He called. He called. How uh, is he related to Eleanor? Well, Eleanor's half fairy. She said. Mm. You gotta pay attention. I like kind of got that. They were throwing a lot at us at this point. He's the president. While they're talking, uh, Necron ninety nine crawls up the window and blasts the president dead. Yes, like in front of them. Just shoots him like three times in the chest. At which point, uh, Avatar. Uh, somehow knocks him out, and then Eleanor, like, claws at his inert body while screaming. So yeah. it's a very intense scene. There's an in-between bit where they talk about, like, you know, I think uh, I think Avatar's talking about the war between the mutants and the fairies, the first one. How, it was kind of funny, he mentions how mutants uh, would always get distracted and get bored when they're trying to fight against them. Like oh, they, yeah. The fairies make, like, a frog and they start chasing it around. That's right! The evil wizard has spent thousands of years in an irradiated wasteland summoning demons from hell, but the demons get distracted mid-battle. So they're, like, yeah. they're not that the good. The mutants do. The, the demons are, the are, the are like, the generals. Okay. And then there's also, like, this little kind of a skit with these two soldiers. And he's like, they killed Fritz! They killed Fritz! And there's, like, these two soldiers, like, these two mutant soldiers... And Fritz is like, actually, man, I'm okay. I'm good. And the guy's like uh, freaking out more and accidentally shoots his friend again. And it, was, it was funny. It was good. Yeah, that's probably like some biting satire about like the Vietnam War or something. I'm almost positive that like a lot of this is biting satire. Some of it is obvious and then some of it is very, very obvious. I really liked, though, the comedy, even though it's like pretty broad and stupid. A lot of it mm -hmm. is like Lord of the Rings is such a joyless experience. For the most part. Didn't have much humor in it, no. But I mean, this time you got Untested Avatar, he kind of talks like this, and he's kind of smoking a cigar with his feet. I think I think he's fun. I think he's fun to hang around with. Sure. Um, also, we should mention, <laughs> if you want to watch this movie, it's not on Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's not on Amazon Prime. But if you go on YouTube, you search Wizards 1977, there'll be a few results. There's going to be one that's an hour and 20 minutes long, and the title is Bernie versus Trump. <laughs> that's <laughs> what you have to find if you want to watch it. I think that was so they could get past, like, copyright issues. Yeah. It's called Bernie versus Trump. And then the reason it's called that will come very apparent as we continue. Oh, yeah. This is, like, a really heavy, like, political message here, right? And in case uh, that political message needs to be, like, laid out at the outset here, I should mention that when we cut back to Black Wolf, the evil wizard, he is sitting on a throne in the middle of a a giant red swastika playing with two bouncing skulls and then a crocodile with nipples comes in to tell him some more like woodland creatures have been killed he tells him that necron 99 has sent his signal back or something yes. like that which so means that he, people died he, his mission was complete but we know that it wasn't complete, it wasn't complete. And then black wolf walks around the city and it says sig heil i mean it's like, it's like when first the swastika showed up i was like Okay, maybe it's just kind of like a nod. Like, oh, he's kind of like a Hitler-type character. No, 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 no. He's like literally Hitler. He wants to be Hitler. There are swastika armbands on a lot of these monsters Um, in the He city. lives in a factory full of, like, old German tanks being carried around on conveyors. Yeah, he's... Um, he also has a room with a swastika curtain and two naked fairies chained to a film project projector. He opens the curtain and says, Attention leaders of tomorrow's master race. He then turns on the film projector and shows them some old footage of Hitler and Nazi yeah, attacks. Yeah, real Nazi propaganda. 
played for all the monsters, and at first they're kind of like, oh, this is boring. No, and but then they and get things real are, horny Things start it. blowing up, and they're like, yeah, this rules! We should mention, too, they do it throughout the movie, but this is the first time you see kind of the precursor to the Lord of the Rings rotoscoping, because before the Hitler stuff starts, there's a little bit of, like, guys riding on horses that's very clearly, like, rotoscoped over actual video of guys riding on horses, and it's... And not very well. It's just the, sh- like, he only... Cover, only paints over the shadows so it's like these kind of weird like these weird black negative space like these horses made entirely of negative space it's kind you of cool try but try and spin that as an artistic choice but i don't think it was but you can kind of see this movie came out the uh a year or two before lord of the rings did so you can kind of see where he's kind of kind of testing the waters and it said also in that article i was reading earlier that uh this is how he got around his budget restraints after Fox rejected him. Sure, so, sure. I mean, yeah, that's his whole right. career is trying to get around budget restraints. So yeah, so the, the monsters love this Hitler stuff. They're they're eating it up. The next bit is on the um, on the battlefront. Yeah, the front lines of the fight. There's there's a World War One trench with a bunch of elves in it. There's an old elf smoking a pipe with boobs on it, telling him, like, ah, we're going to win this one. It's no problem. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so he thinks, but then all the demons and mutants come in, and I guess well, what happens. Is that Black Wolf? His wizardy powers has wizardy powers, and he can like project all of these Nazi bomb dropping videos that he has, like in their minds no, or I, somehow in the sky. I think it was on the sky. He projects it. He has like an actual film projector. That's like a big MacGuffin of the movie. Is his is his evil film projector? I mean, it's yeah, but it's pitched as like he found this old technology from before the world blew up, but yeah. like it's. Projectors can't do that. Right. Well, his can because he's a wizard. So he projects it onto the sky. The elves are kind of getting all blinkered and freaking out. They're dropping their weapons like, oh my gosh, what is all this stuff? And while they're doing that, all the mutants and demons kill him dead. Yep. So you got kind of the theme of this movie here. We got like nature and magic versus technology and Hitler. Um, it's kind of the uh, the thrust. Yeah. Yeah. So a little Lord of the Ringsy, right? Because in Lord of the Rings, you have a, a kind of a, a fascist... Um, kind of a evil leader uh, with industrialization on his mind with an army of, of kind of mindless hordes facing off against these people who live in very like nature bound communities with a bit of nice magic Tolkien would uh, reject the implication that he had any sort of allegorical association with Hitler though okay but I'm just saying you can see where Bakshi got his inspiration from I mean this. you can see why Bakshi liked Lord of the Rings yeah. at the very least yeah. Yeah. at the very least Avatar. We go back to Avatar. Avatar says that they need to destroy uh, Black Wolf's dream machine, which I guess must be the thing that shows videos of bombings it's like, a, it's on a the projector. sky. It's a projector. It's a projector. They don't know what it's called because it's two million years in the future. Dream, so. His dream machine. I mean, at this point, they've uh, they've captured Necron 99, and it seems like Avatar is kind of like... Magically reprogrammed. Reprogrammed. He's a robot now named Peace. Because that's what he's going to bring to the world. His name's Peace. That's what Avatar says. Yeah. Yeah. Peace wants love, wants free, will help, yeah. says Peace. And he sends, uh, this whole idea is he's going to send Peace and the booby fairy Eleanor and the elf that was fighting Necron 99 in the woods, whose name is Weehawk, um, to the old city. And they're going to... They're going to defeat the projector. They're going to be, they're going to kill this 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 video projector. And they're going to kill Nazi Black Wolf video projector. in the process. Yes. And Avatar's going with them. He decides I'm going with. And they're all riding their on their fat two-legged horses toward the capital. We get some scenes of the war going on across the world of this future Earth and Yeah, you get kind of more like comedy satire scenes. I think they're supposed to be. Yeah. Like there's one where well, some that aren't though. Well, there's one where the bad guys 
go into like what what they call church. And but the church is basically just full of all these relics from before the world blew up. So there's like a pinball machine, there's like an Academy Award in there, and there's then a big Coke logo. Yeah. And then the two priest guys say they have to pray because it's sundown and their prayer involves like jiggling around like a-holes and like slapping each other in the ass with boards so i think that's a scathing indictment of the the folly of organized religion there yeah these two soldiers are like he kind of keeps falling back on like two soldier pairs being goofy together the one's like what that what that what are we looking for and the other one's like the priest man the priest it's really it's kind of a funny it's 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 a cut up but in the end the priest prayer is really annoying and takes five hours so the demons blow them up the demon blows up the building with their two soldiers inside this Pretty fun. So what can we glean about organized religion from this, Ryan? That it's stupid? Yeah, I think that's what it means. Yeah. Um, there's also a scene where there's like sold uh, the the robots marching through a town of fairies, and these fairy kids are hiding out, and they're like, "Why do we have to hide, Mom?" And the mom says a very on the nose line. She says, "They have weapons and technology. We just have love." I actually, like, missed the second part of that line completely. Yeah. I thought she said, we just have none. And she said, we just have love. We just have love. <laughs> Jesus. So let it never be said that this movie is opaque in what it's trying to convey. Now listen, listen. You might you might think it's cheesy. I think this movie's charming. I, th- I, I will say off the bat, I enjoyed it. I, had, yeah. I was watching it more than I was taking notes because I was enjoying yeah. it. I, was I liked it too. I liked it too. But it, you, you, you definitely know like what the movie's oh. position is on you, just you, about everything. You know when it was made. Like, yep. It's pretty obvious in every way. It's this very 70s kind of movie. Um, the first place they go on their adventure on the way. Avatar. Avatar and his Avatar friends. Avatar and his friends. They go to the, the fairy forest and, and Weehawks like, oh, I hate fairies. They're such, such jerks. They do tricks and stuff. And, they, and indeed, they are extremely annoying. They do. They put everyone up in a tree. Avatar gets all pissed. He's like, I'm going to call on all the powers of darkness to cast all his spells upon all your forests. He starts making the sky go yeah. all crazy. He says he's summoning the winds of blackness. It's pretty sweet. The fairies give up. And we meet Mark Hamill's character, Sean. <laughs> So this character may or not be a king. He is definitely a representative, at the very least, county comptroller of the fairies. And his name is Sean. And he's very friendly. He's got blonde hair like Mark Hamill. He's got little wings. He's got a little cap on. S-E-A-N Sean. And he feeds them. uh, And then he's murdered. Like, almost immediately, assassins jump out and they kill Sean. Yep. And so they're... they're, uh... Yeah, they're taken to the, the another king of the fairies, I guess. Or Eleanor is. She's Eleanor gets teleported inside a mountain for reasons that are not entirely clear to me. And she is held hostage by some different fairies. Then they have to go rescue her. It's a whole thing. Like, they're trying to convince him. Like, no, no, no. We didn't kill Sean. It was a bunch of assassins. Eleanor's just doing fairy magic. It's caused some chaos. And eventually the fairy king is like, fine, we'll just sit back and wait. Like, it's kind of pointless. It's, it's really kind of pointless. And also... When they say we'll sit back and wait, Avatar and Eleanor, like, are teleported out there, out of there, or they teleport themselves, I'm not sure, but into, like, the Arctic? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we should mention, too, Weehawk, their elf friend. He's been, he fell down a pit, and he gets rescued by Peace from a big monster. He's down in, like, this kind of, like, like... This is like a psychedelic mist pit, and, and he's like monster. slashing at mist. There's a monster that like breathes farts on him, and Weehawk is going to be killed by the fart breath monster, but Peace saves him, and so now we can be sure, okay, Peace is good now. This is kind of a cool segment, though, even though it was just like a- an elf with a bunch of fog around him. It was kind of scary, you know? Cause he was, a like, little bit. Kind of like, 
like Bakshi has a good like this is okay this whole thing with this movie every time all the whole time I was watching it I was like why doesn't Lord of the Rings look like this like he's very good at doing expressions he's really good at doing character movements and stuff and like having a lot of a lot of uh, acting acting within the characters like I would love to see a Lord of the Rings movie that looks like this like a movie like I said where all the characters follow the tree beard or or worm tongue school of design and are expressive and interesting looking. Yes, and but you know creepy. why it doesn't? Because he was going for realism in Lord of the Rings. I think that was his folly. I think that was the mistake. I mm-hmm. think when he does cartoony stuff, he does very well. Cartoony, each character has a maximum of like three colors. Yeah. Uh, and, and doesn't adhere to like normal human proportions. I think he does quite well. Yeah. But because he was going for realism, it came across like so boring. Yeah, yeah. It this movie looks way cooler. It's got way more visual interest to it than Lord of the Rings. It's just kind of like dudes in shirts and brown backgrounds. So yes, not great. So anyway, Avatar and Eleanor are in this like Antarctica, I guess. They wander around a lot, and, and fortunately, they are found by Peace and Weehawk. Yep. They then go to the desert. I'm not exactly sure <laughs> what kind of biome they're in. Maybe they were walking for a good like two years or I, something, because those biomes would not be next to each other. You don't know. This is two million years in the future. This is after the world blew up. It shouldn't. Well, okay. What's the shape of the Earth? If it's still a globe and it's still rotating around the sun on relatively the same trajectory, there's a big chunk missing. You saw on the map. They showed the map a couple times in the movie. And the map, the big middle of the map, is a big crater, and you can imagine that's like the irradiated desert where like no one lives. So when they go to the desert, they're just going to like this irradiated hellhole. It's probably not irradiated anymore. It's been two million years. I imagine the half life is probably done by then. But it's but, just a desert forever, though. Yeah, nothing can grow there. I mean, look, I don't know much about nuclear physics, but that tracks. That yeah. definitely tracks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They go to the desert. B- bite us, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they go to the desert, and they are greeted by some elves, one of whose uh, fathers fought with Avatar previously. His name is Abdul. His, 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 yeah, his name is Abdul. All these elves have guns, because they took them from the robots and the mutant soldiers. It's not too long before they get attacked by the mutants who have been coming by often and it's time they have a tank they have a single tank they have a single tank oh before this sorry eleanor is kind of comforting peace on on a cliff and then like a weird portal opens up it is a black wolf trying to use his evil influence to take over peace's mind and turn him into an evil assassin robot again now peace is okay because Avatar shows up and saves him and banishes the dark portal. But Eleanor, who had her hand on peace at the time, her mind gets taken over. And We don't know that at the time, though. No, we don't know that. It's this a- is not told. We just think that Eleanor suddenly double-crosses her friend and she hops in the tank and she, she's like, she, let's go. She throws a sword at peace. She deflates peace. Peace dies. I didn't realize he was, like, inflatable, but as soon as she stabs it through the sword, he deflates into just, like, an empty suit. But you know what? I think it's... That's some future future knowledge there because they're trying to get into soft robotics now. I was listening to a listen to a, sh- a radio show about. Oh, that. so he's just real, he's so soft that he's literally inflatable. He's like Baymax, yeah. Yeah, he's Baymax or like the the purple chair I bought at Claire's accessories when I was like eleven. Is that a robot? Um, it was inflatable. So after Eleanor jumps into a tank and kind of like seems like a traitor, Avatar becomes kind of this mumbling, confused old man. He basically suddenly gets senile dementia. <laughs> he's all going, oh, I don't know what happened. Because he's, he's so upset that his oldest friend and his boobiest friend betrayed him with right. her boobs. So he and Weehawk sneak into the city. And again, Avatar is kind of like, kind of all out to lunch here. He starts making flowers everywhere. Yeah, he blows their cover by running around turning everything into flowers. So that's kind of effed. And, and, we- th- then, uh, and then the... 
Crocodile with nipples from earlier recognizes him, raises the alert. Weehawk has to come in and kill two guys with karate. Yeah. Also, meanwhile, the Nazi propaganda is still playing. Like, oh, up yeah. Up in the sky the entire the time. The entire time. It's yeah. Hitler. It's Hitler in the sky. Nipple Crocodile sneaks off to go tell Black Wolf. Yep. Uh, apparently, Nipple Crocodile's name is Larry also. Uh-huh. That's just, I like that. We have Sean. We have Larry. Sean, like, good, oh, good solid fantasy names. I love them, yeah. Uh, is this when we get into the big battle? Mm-hmm. There's a big war now. Now the uh, the armies of the elves and the fairies they're marching on the city while uh, while Avatar and Weehawk are inside, and uh, it's a lot of the you know the 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 rotoscoped animation of guys on horses. But this is better than Helm's Deep, I think, because they actually have like yeah. characters doing things. Like it pans across the army of elves, and like each elf is unique looking. Sometimes their hair's blowing a little bit. Like it's it's like they put like a bare minimum effort into it anyway. Right, and then like each all the all the action bits, like when the elves are chopping through mutants or mutants are shooting elves, like it's all very that like, part's actually animated. It's actually yeah, they actually have characters moving. It's dynamic. It's not just like a single guy in a monkey mask going oh, while like a purple blood spray explodes right. behind him. There's actually some thought put into it. Now it must be said the elves are at a bit of a disadvantage because the demons have machine guns and literal gats and tanks. Yeah, and, and, and also bombers. Black Wolf uses his magic projector to make pink and purple Nazi airplanes appear and also footage of Hitler, which I find very demoralizing. Yeah, and sure enough, the elves are kind of like, they're kind of getting getting pushed back here a little bit. Right, right. But fortunately, Avatar finds Black Wolf. He and comes his, to his senses. Yep, he comes to his senses. He finds Black Wolf and it is time for the final showdown between brothers. Yes, also at this point, Weehawk has gone off to find Eleanor and Avatar's like, when you find her, make sure you kill her. Because he thinks he's, they think she's a traitor at this point. Yeah, so he finds her, but he doesn't kill her. Instead, he yells, SLUT! And punches her in the face. <laughs> it's a bit not good for women. Um, it's not great. It's not great. Um, fortunately, Black Wolf's queen, who I forgot to mention earlier, but like... But she's pregnant, she, I think. Well, no, she's pregnant when we first see her, and then she has a baby. Yeah. Uh, after after Black Wolf tells her that like she's gonna have to get an abortion because his soothsayer said it would be a mutant baby. That's that's a subplot. We yeah, just we're not, we're not right worried about over. it. The movie kind of glosses over. Yeah, it too. she shows up with her baby and she stops the fight. And Eleanor's able to explain that she was brainwashed. She's not really a traitor. It's all good. Yep. So Avatar, instead of like most movies where you have like a cool like one liner like "Hello, brother," Avatar just kind of stands across a bridge from his brother and says "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really funny. It's really funny. Yeah. It actually is really funny and charming. His brother says, you know, we don't we don't need to kill each other. We, we can work together. You can blah, use blah, our blah. evil powers. Yeah, and- absolutely. And then Avatar delivers the following speech. Keep in mind, while he's doing this, he is like kind of rolling up his arms. So it looks like he's preparing to do like some really sick wizard magic with a wand or something. So as he's rolling up his sleeves, he says, I'm going to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around for special occasions. And then he pauses and then says, And by the way, I'm glad you changed your name, you son of a bitch! And then he shoots him with a gun! He pulls a, yeah, he pulls a revolver out of his sleeve and shoots his brother. And, and his brother dies, and that's it! That's it for Black Wolf. Killed by his own weapons. It's hoisted a, by his own petard. It's a very incredible scene. I laughed out loud, actually. It was pretty satisfying. I, I really liked it. And after he dies, his, his evil German expressionist city begins to crumble and collapse into the dust. The projectors destroy. Yep. The narrator it literally explodes. Literally explodes the narrator lady comes you know comes out again to inform us that the war was won hitler was dead again <laughs> so they re-killed hitler so the, that's good the world is free <laughs> the as world they say. is free 
we uh the, the the elves and the fairies return home um we hawk and eleanor and avatar head back to their land and i think they're going to go together right you like yeah let's go and and uh eleanor reveals that actually me and avatar are going to go start our own kingdom you're the king of the of our old kingdom now we hawk montagar yeah montagar and they've been making her, her and Avatar don't really have like a like a romantic relationship, right? Because like Weehawk's like, so you guys are like Avatar. You got married to her now? And she's like, he's like, ah, I don't know about that. I wouldn't put it that he's way. Like, but. I still got a thousand years left to live. So, yeah. and he's like, all right then, hail, and, hail Montagar. And then he rides off. And then Avatar makes some comment that Eleanor interprets as him asking her to blow him. Well, what he says is, hey, what do you say? Why don't we uh, let's go make it. And she's like, you're a little too old, aren't you, Avatar? Uh-huh. And he's like, no, I meant go make a new kingdom. Jeez Louise. And blah, she's blah, like, blah. Sure. sure. So Eleanor is boobalicious to the end. Yeah. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So I have to say, I obviously liked it better than his Lord of the Rings. I liked it better than Fire and Ice. Fire and Ice, I felt like, didn't have much characterization. It was like... Just like wizardy special effects. And barbarians. It was based on like Frank Frazetta artwork, so it's not like... It's not fleshed out. No. This I thought was like pretty good, actually. It's problematic in terms of its treatment of women because Eleanor is getting like kidnapped or seized constantly. She screams so many times in this, and also she gets punched in the face and called a slut. She gets her own magic, but it's always kind of like, "Ooh, I can't control it. I'm kind of a dip." And it comes out like from her pelvis. Oh yeah, it did, didn't it? At one point, she just turns into a big purple blob of light, and then like a beam shoots out of her pelvis. Yeah, that did happen, didn't it? Yeah, for- that happened. I forgot that that's happened. where it came that from. That happened. So it's all good. I mean, I'm not saying like I- I'm not dumping on women who have like large breasts and and like to show a lot of skin and like don't like wearing bras. Like it's all good. But she's like the only representation we get in this, and she is a coquette and kind of a ditz, and yeah. also gets punched and called a slut. So yeah. not not great. Not great. Overall, though, better than Lord of the Rings. Definitely. Um, you got any bonus facts for us? I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking for bonus facts. Again, this movie came out the same year as Star Wars. Although Wizards received a limited release, it was very successful in the theaters that showed it and developed a worldwide audience. According to Bakshi, he was once interviewed by a German reporter who was unsure as to why the Nazi swastika was used to represent war. <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. I know it was a different time, but come on, like... How thoroughly did you sleep through history class? Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes has a uh, 63% rating uh, based on 24 reviews of Wizards. Uh, the consensus reads its central metaphor is a bit too on the nose, but Wizards is an otherwise... A bit? <laughs> uh, is an otherwise psychedelic freaky trip to an alternate version of our world. A bit? I mean, it's literally like swastikas in Hitler and every other scene. <laughs> There's a possible sequel in the works. Ralph Bakshi is like 80 years old. He had plans for a sequel entitled Wizards 2 that involved the relationship between Avatar and Eleanor. Oh my god, it's just going to be like an hour and 20 minute long sex scene. Well, here's what what he says. He says the plot would be where the relationship doesn't work out and Weehawk gets in the way. Weehawk, you son- Wait, she's gonna go with Weehawk after he punched her and called her a slut? I think he's just gonna get in the way. This is messed Weehawk up. Weehawk has a family. They established that. Weehawk does have a family. Well, sure, but Eleanor has drawn, like, quite the home wrecker. So, in late 2004, Wizards 2 graphic novel went into production. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's out or not. It looks like it maybe came and went. Uh, but as of 2015, Bakshi has finished the script of Wizards 2. Wow! And after his last film, The Last Days of Coney Island, he said that uh, the next movie is going to be Madness, Absolute Madness. 
I, I, I believe it will be. At the very least, it will be absolute madness. Now, Ryan, would you recommend this movie to people? Uh, yeah, I would. I think with caveats, I wouldn't show it to, like, my parents or something. I'd be like, I think if you show it to people, you gotta know they're kind of, like, on the level. They're not gonna, either they're not gonna be, like, weirded out by cartoon characters swearing or, like, the main woman being, you know, really booby. having protruded, protruding nipples the entire time. Or, like, having Nazi propaganda be a major plot element. But I think if your fans are kind of, like, fans of animation or just kind of weird sci-fi fantasy stuff, I would say, yeah, watch it. Watch it instead of Lord of the Rings. It's only an hour and 20 minutes long. Yeah, of your life. Yeah, if you don't like it, at least it's not two hours and 15 minutes of your life, like Lord of the Rings is. I would say watch it if for no other reason than Mark Hamill's star-making turn as Sean. Now, you joke, but this was his first voice acting role. I thought it was the Star Wars Holiday thing no that came out 78 so this is actually his first voice acting gig and he went on to have a pretty successful uh career career. yeah he's one of the most successful voice actors yeah dude so So, i mean small steps gotta start as sean we you know in in a metaphorical sense don't we all start our careers with sean i think we're all sean at the beginning we're all sean at the beginning we all start as sean and by the end we're like the mother freaking joker the joker yeah exactly from sean to joker so that's our bakshi bonanza any final Thoughts about Ralph Bakshi, the movies you watched today. He's, 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 he's a weird guy. He's kind of self-aggrandizing. He has a tendency to be a bit, like, over-effusive in his praise of, like, his own stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 whenever something's bad about what he does, he'll blame it on, like, outside forces. Mm. The studio interfered. I really hated the soundtrack, yeah. this, that, and the other thing. But, um, whenever things, his own artistic choices... Like clearly, do not work. Yeah, yeah. He'll praise them as like the best thing ever. Yeah, but you know what? He has done some interesting you know, things. So I th- yeah, I think he's a singular uh, guy. I think he's got an idea of what he wants, and if it doesn't turn out how he wants, he gets he gets mad. And I think that's that's, and, the, that's the thing that prevents this kind of guy from ever making like a truly great movie, like like an actual like you know, not say movies aren't great, but not you know what I mean, like an actual movie that's good without caveats, right? Because um, he really wants it to be his singular vision, even, and if it's not, he gets pissed off. Even if it means cutting his budget, even if it means, you know, like, you know, all, all these things that he, he has to do, if it means finishing the whole movie on his own on his own dime himself, which means he doesn't have to listen to anybody. And, and he and I do agree on one point. Yeah. If, in fact, Peter Jackson did pretend that he had not seen Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, dude, that's a lie. Well, Ryan, should we do our new feature? Uh, yeah. The hot, the hot, the hot, the hot, the hottest take. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so last week, our two takes... The take we had from the Lord of the Rings side was that Eowyn is a total KS ninja looter. She ninja looted Theoden's kill on the fields of Pelennor. So basically when she killed the Witch King of Angmar, that was dumb. She stole it right out from under Theoden. Also, she's annoying because she spends the whole movie in a depressed mood. And from the Star Wars side, it was that the Emperor and his dignitaries are gay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that was about the size of it. In summary, yeah. So, which was the hottest take, Ryan? Ooh, Joanna. Yeah. What we got here? A tie? A tie. All right. 
I think we can agree both takes are equally stupid. Both takes really suck, yeah. So that's a point in both our columns, I think. All right, well, shall we dive into our new hot takes? <sighs> yes. First, before we do that, though. Okay, so in search of new hot takes, I turned to that, that time-honored font of wisdom, Yahoo Answers. Oh, and no. this is this is not actually a hot take. I just thought it was really funny. This is somebody asking for help on their language arts test, which was about Lord of the Rings. Okay. So the question was... Frodo was the meek, comfort-loving hobbit who became the unwilling heir to a magic ring forged by the blank. Listen to these answer choices. A. Beast of Blow. What? B. Master of Chaos. C. King of the Void. D. Lord of Darkness. E. Tyrant of Tartarus. Tartarus, I like that. I know. I like it. I like it. Now, the top answer said Sauron the Dark Lord, which is not actually one of the choices. So I don't know why that's rated most helpful. Yeah. But anyway, there you go. Okay, so here's my actual hot take. This is actually over the course of three posts. This is by somebody called... Frodo took three okay. message board posts. The first one was on May 14th, 2013 at 5.06 p.m. All right, so here we go. Sauron was once called Anatar and was beheld beautiful, the Lord of Gifts, before he became Lord of the Rings. I remember reading about the High Elves of Holland being seduced. The text told me so. Celebrimbor and his host were seduced by his beauty and gifts. I like thinking back on when Sauron was beautiful. I also think Anatar is a beautiful name. But we'll also say I like the Lord of Gifts better than the Lord of the Rings. The Anatar did not share his gifts freely with no expectations in return, says much of his evil nature, pretty as he was. Next post. Okay. Okay. I just recently read this again and saw I did not say what I meant to say. So I edited the initial message. That said, Sauron, from my readings, was at a time Lord of Gifts. He seduced the elves of Holland and Numenor fell down. Sauron flew back and once again took up his ring. Sauron is badass. Great characters! Three exclamation points. <laughs> yeah, I love the evil in Tolkien's world, and I love that Sauron was considered beautiful in all caps with bold font. Okay, here's her last post. Okay. I just now smelt my right forearm. It smelt like burnt flesh. It might have smelt that way because I was hungry. Still, I am hungry, but I'm not to the point of gnawing on mine own arm. Okay, I... Is that all? Yes. So okay, the, the what, take... am I, what am I supposed to get? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was my question. But as I do a meta reading of this, I think her point is that Sauron is so hot that it set the her right forearm on fire. Okay, one more time for the audience. One more time for the... So basically the hot take is Sauron's hot and I like to think about him. I like that. Yeah. What do you got? All right, so there's a website out there uh, called decentfilms.com. Mm-hmm. And this is a website of film appreciation and criticism informed by the Christian faith. Oh, okay. So good. I kind of wish I found this one last week because it would have matched really well with your uh, your Satanist stuff. I, that's what it sounds like. But I didn't find it until this week. So I was kind of curious. I looked it up. The big thing they have against Star Wars, it may surprise you. What do you think their biggest complaint about Star Wars is going to uh, be? Probably like the Force having this like pseudo religion that they probably think smacks up like Eastern mysticism. Okay, here's how the, how the thing about Star Wars starts. The use of arms and even deadly force can be morally licit in at least some real-life circumstances. However, lying is in a different category. It is never morally <laughs> <What>? illicit. 
skull to death with blasters sometime, but lying is never okay. Listen, now, I will say, nobody uses the word listen. They have a whole bunch of pages for each movie, and this is on the lying page, but it's one of the longest ones, so I thought it was really <laughs> funny. It's really extensive. The one major exception concerns the deception of the hero Luke Skywalker in order to avert a potential tragedy of galactic proportions. This deception is perpetrated by Luke's mentors, by his uncle, his aunt, and Ben Kenobi, and Yoda as well. Well, when Luke finally discovers he's been deceived by these clo- those closest to him, he confronts Kenobi with the fact, and the latter is forced to acknowledge his deception, though he argues it was a form of mental reservation. That is, it was true from a certain point of view. Is that licit? Luke is not Can we impressed- talk about the licitness of that? Luke is not impressed by this qualifier, nor should he be. Judged by standards of real-world moral theology, the mental reservation employed by Kenobi is not morally licit. Mm, I mean, I kind of agree, but it's like if a kid's parent dies and the kid says, where's mommy now? And you say, she's rotting in the ground and worms <laughs> are eating her. Like- That's morally licit. <laughs> but is it nice though now other examples of lies include when yoda pretends to be an old kook on dagobah but they say that's maybe okay you can it's it's illicit to pretend the only you're issue is kook. that there's no significant justification for what yoda does oh my god yoda justify yourself no yeah. he just he just f's off and dies without ever justifying the licitness of his actions do you think the what do we think the biggest lie is in return of the jedi in Return of the Jedi? Okay, because the truth about Luke's parentage has already come out. Yeah. In Return of the Jedi, I think the biggest lie is when Vader says that Luke already saved him because we know his soul is damned and he already went to hell because he's not baptized. You'd think that, but Assassin's Creed 3 pure pretends to be a god. No, he's <laughs> <laughs> But he does that so they won't be killed. It does mention that, like, the survival... If you're allowed to shoot someone so you won't be killed, you're not allowed to lie so you won't be killed. So while the circumstances are a mitigating factor, uh, the film does not explore possible alternatives, and the irrelevant scenes are played for comedy without censoring the manipulation of others' religious beliefs. There is absolutely nothing funny about making a bunch of sentient teddy bears think you're a god so that they won't kill you. There's nothing inherently comical about that situation at all. It also spends a lot of time explaining why Jedi mind tricks are bad. Jedi mind tricks are not possible in the real world. (laughs) Few kids are likely to try them, and those who will be quickly disappointed. Well, I, I know, but kids being disappointed by... I mean, like, every kid learns the difference between fantasy and reality at some point. I think that's not morally illicit. So these are, like, mitigating factors why it could be okay to have this in the movie. Because the alternative is having to kill them. Mind tricks don't work on everyone in the Star Wars universe. Uh, okay. In fact, only the weak-minded, according to Ben Kenobi. It's not clear um, who is strong-minded in the sense of having a strong resolve not to do something will be invulnerable to the trick. It's saying that if a person who who complies with the suggestion of a mind trick will be partially responsible for his actions. So it's morally illicit because the people who fall for it are kind of dumb. Despite these mitigations, Jedi mind tricks are morally problematic. Not licit? Not licit. Not Big stamp, not Not licit. Immorally illicit. That's what I got. I have, like, literally never heard people use the word licit as opposed to illicit before. This site's weird, man. This site's weird as hell. I love how it's like, sometimes you gotta shoot people, but lying? That's never morally licit. So, Star Wars is full of liars. So, first one, Sauron's hot, my arm is on fire. Second one, Star Wars is full of liars, and Jedi mind tricks are maybe okay. Maybe. Maybe okay. Maybe licit. Yeah. All right, cool. So you can vote for what you think is the hottest take on our Facebook group or 
Not our Twitter, right? No, we don't use Twitter for this one. On our Facebook group, just search What's Lightsabers Precious and go ahead and click on the like button so you can stay informed with all the memes I've been posting recently. Ryan- Ring that bell, share, like, subscribe. I don't want to say that. But I shared a meme recently about um, how Lord of the Rings is a ripoff of Teletubbies. It is. And somebody totally called me out, Ryan. They posted- Lord of the Rings was written long before Teletubbies. Boom! Roasted. Joanna. Dang! I really thought I was going to get away with that. You got, one, but somebody totally called me on it. You got scooped, dude. You're right. You're right. I run a Lord of the Rings podcast, but I'm literally so freaking dumb that I thought Lord of the Rings was a ripoff of Teletubbies. You're right. You Duh. got me. I thought you it came out. And then the movies came out. Duh. No. So that guy just tore the lid off everything. Yeah, he really snatched your wig there. Anywho. You, you, God, please don't. That's okay. Please I'm don't. allowed to say it. You're allowed to say it. Um, so you can find us on Facebook. You can also email us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. And our website, whatslightsabersprecious.com. You know all the stuff. Raise up on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode 70. The nicest episode of all. Nice. See ya. See ya.